Maureen of Chicago. I'm Megan, daughter of Michael and Lisa. And, and we, we are, are burdened with glorious, glorious podcast. Welcome back to the show where we talk about our favorite trickster god, Loki, now streaming on Disney+. And it's going to be the same season for the next couple of years, folks, so buckle up. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're now entering a new era of Burdened with Glorious podcast as of today. We are going to recap and review each of the movies Loki has been in. Yeah, which is uh, which is going to be particularly interesting for me, considering I haven't actually seen Avengers 2012 probably since 2013, actually. Hmm. Maybe even, maybe, yeah, you know what? It might have actually been 2012. The last time I remember watching it was actually on a bootleg DVD at my friend Jess's house when I was <laughs> visiting over the summer. Yeah, it's been a while since I last saw The Avengers. It was more recent uh, than 2012, but still probably like, maybe, I think probably 2015, because I probably saw it right before uh, Age of Ultron came out. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, this is, it's it's been a while, you know, and part of it is just because I, you know, the further we get from the movie, the more I'm like, you know what, I don't, you know, I, I don't know if I necessarily need that, you know, I don't know how much joy this sparks, but you know what, for, for the sake of this, yeah, you know, I'm gonna watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the passage of time, it has been, yeah, exactly a decade since this movie came out in theaters, and so much of the MCU has changed, so much of us have changed. <laughs> It just... You know, it really, it really just hit me just moments actually before I, uh, before I started um, calling you. Actually, was it hit me that you know at this point it's almost September here, and I was like, "Wow, this is this has truly been you know ten years later, another summer of Loki." <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, so I have actually seen this movie. Quite a bit, uh, not just because I like it, but because I'm actually uh, currently working on a YouTube channel of mine called Subtleties for Chumps, and I've always wanted the first video to be called You Are Ron About Thor, where I defend <laughs> the first two Thor films, and uh, I'm going to have some quotes from that video just as like inspiration sparks uh, for this episode. Because looking back, this movie feels like an indulgence that shouldn't really exist. Because, <laughs> no, like seriously. Because you have to realize that before this came out, I honestly believe, okay, I honestly believe that the first Thor movie definitely was like a game changer for superhero films. Because before that, it was just a given that it was, like, primarily boy stuff. Like, superhero films were either catered at, like, fifth grade boys or, like, 35-year-old nostalgic men. And this was, like, the first time where afterwards there was a change in discourse online of, like, there were so much more young women talking about their feelings for this movie than there were boys. And it really set up the shift that I think that for the rest of the MCU to follow, there was just way more 
emphasis on like more uh, egalitarian for the audience. It's especially interesting that that happened with this movie, though, considering that this is probably the first one where they that they put out. Where watching it, it really is just like, wow, they were just ODing on, like, how weird can we make some of the settings for this possible? How deep can we make some of these cuts? I mean, you know, it's not... The the design that they have going on for um, Asgard as a city isn't completely in... Um, that's not completely in, like, you know, Jack Kirby territory, but, like, the, you know, the crazy armor and all of that and just the details on details on details, I mean... That is all a really deep cut as far as uh, as far as, you know, delving into the comic book sources go. I mean, and even certain I mean, the Thor movies have kind of always been like that. It's it's weird because, you know, the only other sub franchise in this that I actually still feel very invested in is Guardians of the Galaxy. And that one does the same thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like I just I knew I was in for a treat when I first saw this movie, and there's a bunch of Vikings riding horses across a rainbow crystal bridge. And I'm like, okay, this is officially different. This is definitely way more girly than I thought I would get from this movie. I'm officially on board. And welcome like, welcome to the hero. <laughs> you know, I didn't mean to say both of those as a portmanteau, but you know what? I think that works for this. It does. It really does work. Not quite He-Man, not quite She-Ra, but that's Thor for you. Well, welcome to the He-Ra era of the MCU. I wish they did more of it. <laughs> but yeah, like, to put in perspective uh, of both, like, catering to a female audience and just the whole, like, we're not ashamed of our superhero batshit crazy aesthetic going on, the year before this movie came out, the two superhero films we got were X-Men Origins Wolverine and Punisher Warzone. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> to really emphasize, like, the shift of, like, uh, what superhero films can do for and to a female audience, I mean, this is a movie where way more male characters cry on screen than female characters. Yeah. And it's a movie where the male protagonist gets sexualized, but his love interest doesn't. And that is just, like, a mini-revolution right there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and also, you know, the, the transparent ogling scene. Yes. The, you, know, for, you know, for a... For an amnesiac homeless guy or whatever the line is, no, he's pretty cut. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but more on this later. But I, it's a pet peeve of mine whenever uh, I see people like complain that the relationship between Thor and Jane was just like is this forced stiff romance, and I'm like, you're completely missing the point because the whole point of their dynamic is. It is female wish fulfillment. It's not supposed to be male wish fulfillment because Jane's accomplished, but she's ultimately like an ordinary earthling woman. And here's this Viking god prince <laughs> who falls into your life and he's excited by you. He chooses to be with you. He wants to find out more about you. <laughs> Really, the only thing that still... I The thing is that 
one thing that really stands out to me about this movie is how much lip service, and, and I know that they were really trying with this, how much lip service there really was to, you know, to trying to make Jane a, you know, a strong female character and like, you know, and the, the kind of ultimately weird because of how other than the actual like kickoff for the plot, how irrelevant it ends up being decision to make her an astrophysicist instead of a nurse when, you know, ultimately that doesn't quite do anything to the plot. And, and the thing is, is that, you know what, the real proof that this movie was, you know, made for, for, for girls is really just, just how much female gaze is going on in it. It's like, you know what, we don't, we don't necessarily need more STEM representation. We, we just need more of whatever the hell this is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But about representation, it's really is incredible how this movie has four notable female characters and they're all unique, they're all different, they're all completely different types of strong. Yes, you have Sif, who's like the more traditional strong female character, all caps, but she still has depth. Uh, she's still, you know, she's... Uh, I mean, it's just, like, refreshing to see Sif, like, go into battle, and there's no slow-motion jiggle physics. You know, like well, that. Well, yeah, I mean, and I, I do think that it was interesting that they decided to to put her in there in the first place, even though they seem to have very, very pointedly decided that she's not going to be a love interest in the MCU, at least as far as we know. Mm -hmm. um, considering that's kind of like the entire reason that she was added in was like, you know, eventually I think they there was a point in the comics where they were just like, oh, you know, well, we... We can't have him tied down to a to a mortal girl all the time, you know, so we're going to have his dad come in and forbid it. And then as soon as we've written Jane out, we're going to, you know, bring in this character named after the mythological Thor's wife. And that's really, I mean, even more so than any of the others, that's really the only way I can refer to her in this case. I feel like she's basically named after the mythological Sith. Oh, yeah. They <laughs> otherwise don't have anything in common. But one thing I love about the first two Thor films is that they don't go the most obvious route and they don't really have like Sif and Jane competing for Thor's love. And not yeah. only that, but it's not like the movie frames Sif as being inherently better because she's more physically stronger and capable of defending herself than Jane. And I just like, I'm so thankful that they did that. Well, and for that matter, on the other hand, you know, Sif is also clearly jealous of Jane, but it doesn't affect how she treats her. Yes, she doesn't go, that, like, full that's actually, because that's, I mean, I think that's as big of a point as, as not having them compete, is also at the same time. Sif is allowed to have those feelings, she's just not a jerk about them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we have, yeah, we have Sif, we have Jane, who is clearly meant to be like a romance heroine and people who don't like her kind of miss a point that she's not supposed to be the Mary Jane type. And we have uh, Frigga, who is a mom just trying to do her best, but men just like uh, keep on fucking shit up in her family. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I really like that they kept her on as a character. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I really like that, you know, they, they really did go to the extent of, like, you know, we're going to include her, and then, you know, and then something else that I like about her just, like, more broadly is that even though, you know, 
I don't think you can argue that her death isn't like a pretty classic fridging situation, but I think the best part about that is that ultimately they kept making it mean more as it went on to the point where it doesn't really feel as much like a fridging anymore, you know? Yeah. And I, and that's, that's definitely because more has been added to it over time, but you know, it, it really went from, you know, okay, we're going to kill her off to have a big sad at this point to the fact that, you know, you know, even in the, the Loki series, you know, her absence there and, you know, I mean, part of me is still just kind of like, if they're screwing up the timeline now, can can he have his mom back? Aww. I mean... That, that was actually something I was really hoping for was, was, you know, considering that he seems to have kind of, you know, he seems to have really just like sort of reconciled himself to her death pretty hard because he feels guilty for it, even though it like, was in another timeline. And now I'm just like... Even Thor got to properly say goodbye to her. So why can't Loki? Yeah, I'm just like, can just, just come on. Yeah, be a pal, Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, please, please let him meet his mom again. Yes. And the last uh, notable female character I like to talk about is the only one that is uh, created just for the MCU, uh, Darcy. And he, she's a character that I've loved pretty much since the beginning. And But something I found very interesting is that according to Kat Dennings, uh, Darcy was originally written uh, in the early stages as a man. And I just really liked how, uh, like, they didn't quite have to change anything by changing the sex, but it's definitely something that's appreciated. Oh, yeah, that, that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I know that on the one hand, you know, she is kind of just there, and then they kind of just kept her just there. But, but you know what? Now she's on WandaVision, and she was, you know, she became an important character in that, and it was pretty cool. Well... I would kind of disagree there because I would argue that Darcy actually does serve a function in the films. Oh, well, I don't I don't mean having her just there is a bad thing. That was not a complaint about Okay. <laughs> not but, a complaint about her. Right, but the thing is it's like it's not so much she's just there as it is like the purpose she serves is the audience surrogate. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what I meant. I meant it almost more about like you know what, and she's just happy to be here, except for when she's absolutely terrified of being here. Yeah, but what makes her work as a character is like she basically reacts the same way the average female audience member would react, and I think that's what made her appeal to so many because. I have like a little theory that when they were getting the MCU off the ground, uh, when it came to original characters, just for the movies, I think the uh, the people at Marvel were originally intending like Agent Coulson to be like the go-to. Uh, this is the character the audience is supposed to identify with, uh, like a uh, forty-something white guy who <laughs> fanboys big time but i would argue that what it became was darcy as like the character that the audience is like identifies with the most because as you can see as you remember from like the fan uh the fan reaction to this movie so much of them were like women in their early 20s who just could not get off their laptops 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that you say that, that's a that's a good way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's ask uh, the most basic question. Uh, before you knew what seeing this movie would spark and go down the rabbit hole, before we even knew each other, why did you first want to see this movie? Um, I mean, part of it was just, I was sort of just in a sense of just like, oh, you know, I should see more movies, um, which was genuinely a big part of it. And then also, uh, one, you know, I had a live in nanny job at the time and the kids were really curious about this movie. And then I was just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can track down a bootleg or something. I'm Disney, please don't snipe me. <laughs> um, and then, uh. And then, you know, on top of everything, you know, that kind of, I, you know, started getting in a little bit deeper at that point, And I was just like, oh, I noticed that they, they made Thor significantly more attractive than I feel like a Thor should necessarily be. All right. And then it just kind of, you know, it just escalated. And, you know, and I remember, I, I think I've described it on this podcast beforehand that the first, uh, the first like image of anything other than like a photo of Chris Hemsworth in the armor that I ever saw for this movie was a piece of fan art. I believe it was done by uh, Fobbs who later became like, you know, they had like a good two or three year run as like the internet's preeminent MCU Loki artist. <laughs> um, but it was just, it was basically like, so I saw a movie, like <laughs> I saw a movie today and it was just, you know, on the one hand, you had this big kind of, you know, almost Wreck-It Ralph proportioned smiling Thor with like, you know, smiling so much that his eyes are like scrunching up into little slits and he's got, you know, the hammer and he's got like a, a little speech bubble coming off of him that just has a little heart, pink heart in it. And then like practically posed as though he's floating on a cloud or something behind him. There is just the most, like, Art Nouveau-looking, except-in-the-face Loki possible. Except he's, like, touching the side of his own face with, you know, this very elongated hand, looking, you know, very stylishly devastated about something while, like, mascara is running down his face. And I was just kind of like, all right, so what the hell happens in this movie? (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, to clarify, uh, Thor was your gateway to the MCU. You didn't see any Marvel movies uh, in that franchise before that. Um, I, I don't believe I did. I, you know, I might. I think I saw the first Iron Man movie just like chilling out at my friend Jess's house. It was kind of there in the background. I knew that she really liked that movie, so I think I'd seen that. But I, I was like, just sort of vaguely aware of it and um I had ended up seeing uh I you know a little bit after I saw Thor I did end up going and seeing Captain America in the theater um because those came out the same year actually it was their first like double release thing I think um but that was, uh, but I, I really think that some of it was just like, oh, you know, hey, it's, it's you know, it's another big, silly comic book movie. And But I really think that that Fobbs art definitely was like a major motivator and just like, okay, so what the hell happens in this movie? <laughs> what, what is going on here? 
And then somebody, you know, and then somebody else just pointed out, like, you know, also that's, you know, oh, that's that's basically, you know, that's that's Loki in in this iteration. And I just remember thinking, like, because I had this book back in California, I think I probably still have it in storage, called the Supervillain Encyclopedia. And I remembered see, and it, and it's exactly what it sounds like. It's like you know a third party just compilation of you know basically alphabetized articles on, you know, comic book villains, especially. And I remembered that I had seen the picture in there of comic Loki. And I'm just kind of like having one of those like looks between the two images, looks into the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Like what the hell is going on here? You Um, and me both friend. (laughs) I I said this on uh, the first episode, but after I saw it, uh, the movie, like, I just walked into my nearest comic shop and, like, thumbed through every Thor comic I could think of and was just increasingly, like, confused and frustrated because, like, where are the issues where Loki's pretty? He's supposed to be pretty! <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely, you know, a friend that I had at the time actually is, like, you know, Norse neo-pagan. And I remember that she had, you know a couple of just like, mm, I don't know if I like that they're doing this with this, uh, with this, you know, for this movie. And then like, as it progressed, you know, eventually that ended up being the friend that, uh, that, that, you know, role-playing Loki was actually like created to be shipped with. <laughs> so, you know, life comes at you fast. But, um, but, you know, that was one of the other reasons why I was a little bit out of the loop there was just kind of like, you know, oh, well, you know, I don't want to delve too deeply into something that, you know, that my friend isn't, you know, doesn't think is a good idea. And then, you know, next thing you know, she's like, you didn't tell me his voice sounds like that. And I was like, <laughs> like, what? And yeah, that was, yeah, <laughs> that was a big part of it, actually. Yeah. Uh, I, uh... Yeah, Thor was also my gateway to the MCU because I'd heard a lot of good things about Iron Man, but I was never, like, that curious to watch it. Again, it was always, like, a movie that was, like, on the background with my friends. But uh, with Thor, it was more of, like, uh, my friends just wanted to go out to a movie and that was what they wanted to see. And I'm like, okay, might as well. I mean, I was kind of curious just because it looked different than any superhero movie I've seen before and you know like being I being Swedish I like I was always like slightly interested in Norse mythology and when I saw it I was just like this is new this is good I want to know more about this (laughs) (laughs) and do you remember uh the commercials for this movie when it first came out and it wasn't just, they didn't want you to just see this movie in theaters. They wanted you to see it in movie theaters in 3D. Oh my god. <laughs> see, this is, you know, you have to understand that the summer that this movie came out, I was in the process of, like, moving to New York. And I actually ended up, like, having to move from being on, uh, from be already being in New York state to like moving across the country again, to gather up more of my stuff, to settle down somewhere else permanently, and then flying back to live in somebody else's house in Staten Island. Like, I mean, that was, I was a little bit out of the loop that summer because I was extraordinarily busy <laughs> and that was, you know, so I don't actually remember that, but oh my God, I can only, 
I can only imagine this movie in, in 3D. Holy shit. I did see the movie in theaters for the first time in 3D, and let me tell you, it added nothing. <laughs> Man, you know, I'd, I'd completely forgotten the whole 3D thing that was going on like 10 years ago. Well, anyway, it was until two you years, mentioned this. It was two years after Avatar, and they thought that was just instant money printing. It's the way of the future. God. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, wow, that, that just brings up an entire bunch of, like, relatively recent memories that I had just nevertheless completely forgotten. Yeah, I mean, watch, <laughs> re-watching this movie, I forgot how much J.J. Abrams levels of lens flares in this. Yeah, I mean, the thing about, the thing about this movie, and I think that all of this ties into it, is that, you know, I, I'm going to be totally honest. I do think that one of the main things that saved this from, you know, ending up in, like, remember this wild-ass movie <laughs> territory probably is just the fact that it's part of the MCU. Because there are several points when I'm watching this, and I'm just like, you know, I don't actually know how big of a gap there is between this and Jupiter Ascending. Mm. No, it, they're definitely on the same wavelength. Yeah, and I say this as somebody who is, like, the one, you know, I, I, I'm always worried a little bit about how this is going to come off, like, but I, I literally have a Jupiter Ascending poster hanging on my bedroom wall, and I also have um, this, like, 17-inch doll, inch tall collector doll of her <laughs> in the wedding dress. Like, like, I, I feel like I am part of, like, a very small contingency of people who sincerely, you know, years later is just like, you know what was a good fucking movie? Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> like, <laughs> but this definitely feels like it's on the same wavelength and complete with, like, just the, you know, the excessive, like, I don't know, like, Baroqueness. Yes, the, that's a good word. <laughs> yeah, of, of you know, the set design and, and, you know, and the fact that, you know, every time you turn around, somebody has a new outfit <laughs> and, and, and just, it's, it's just that, that same level of it just being like, you know, we're just going to filigree the fuck out of an action movie. Yes. Uh... And, and also, you know, the very, as you know, as we were just talking about the, the very, you know, female viewpoint of it which I don't know where the hell that came from in Thor I'm gonna be completely honest you know at the very least we know that you know Jupiter Ascending was created by the the Wachowski sisters I um I don't think Lily was out at the time but still like you know the point is that movie was created by two women so like when you look back on it it's like yeah yeah <laughs> but how, what the hell happened with Thor how did we get that lucky Ah, uh, I don't know Oh, one more thing I forgot about this movie was I completely forgot uh, that Walk by the Foo Fighters was on the soundtrack. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. God, do you remember do you remember that era audience? Do you remember when they just they had to attach some kind of like Imagine Dragons caliber rock single to every single superhero movie because I, I realized we don't do that anymore. Pepperidge Farm does. Oh my god. <laughs> this, is, this is just bringing up a whole bunch of things that I that I'd forgotten about all of this. It's it's just it's 
it's really insane looking back on this. I mean, and when you look back on it, you know, everybody in it is, you know, obviously 10 years younger than they are in real life now. But it's just... It was a different... Well, it was a different era. It was a different time altogether. All That's the thing. Is like it, it feels like even... I would honestly say even more so than, like, the first Iron Man movie does. This feels like a time capsule. Well, yeah, this was before the Avengers came and proved that cinematic universes can actually work. So at the time, it really was just like throwing things at the wall, experimenting, just how, what can we get away with? Yeah, yeah, I mean, and as I've mentioned before, you know, the only other MCU sub-franchise that I, that I am, like, actually invested in following right now is, um, is Guardians of the Galaxy, which, you know, that makes Love and Thunder very convenient for me. Um, (laughs) but... You know, I feel like that has some of the same vibe about, like, you know, just, you know, fuck it. Let's just put everything we want in there. Uh, Going back to what you said of, like, uh, Thor has never been this hot before. Uh, (laughs) Being a a bi woman, I've never really been into manly men with, like, full beards and broad muscles or like really deep voices like I've always been more of like pretty girls and pretty boys are the ones for me and then I saw (laughs) Thor and I was all well call me Haley Williams because you are the only exception (laughs) I mean you know he's he's charming he's sparkly he's he's He's, I'm, I'm, I'm glad they let him have his eyebrows in later movies. I'd, I'd forgotten about oh, that. Oh, God. So, but, it's, um... the biggest injustice of the Thor films is that the brothers can never be, they can never see eye to eye or brow to brow, because there's never been a point where they've had equally good-looking eyebrows. It's always, they're inversely... They're inversely proportioned. Because, like, in this movie, Loki's eyebrows were fucking flawless. And they've never been as good-looking since. And Thor's was just way too bleached. And then in later films, like Ragnarok, Thor's eyebrows were completely perfect. And Loki's just, like, they just needed gel. They just needed at least gel or, like, a trim on top. And it's just so unfair. (laughs) I mean, to be honest, there were actually a couple of, uh, there were a couple of points when at this point I've gotten so accustomed to, you know, ladder Loki that there were a few points looking at this where I was just like, your eyebrows are lines. Your eyebrows are lines. <laughs> like, what is going on here? Well, I mean, and maybe, I think maybe it's, maybe they just uh, filled them in better on the series or something because i do know that there are a couple of places in other movies where they they come off almost smudgy so but i remember that uh at least for the first thor film like with tom they just did a full dye job they dyed and straightened his hair and they dyed his eyebrows and even like uh tinted his eyelashes so it was just all black yeah well, and also, you know, the the shaping is very evident because that's that was the thing that was what was throwing me off when I was just, and maybe it's because you know, again, a weird like time capsule thing is that you know I've come come to think of it, you know, 
his eyebrows are tamed to an extent in that movie that I, I don't even think most women do now. <laughs> so that's the other thing about it. Was oh, that's I was, right. Was this like, was like right before the Instagram brow became a thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, as as somebody who naturally has pretty middling eyebrows myself, you know, this is, you know, I I can only achieve a certain level of eyebrow thickness. <laughs> and I I'm still looking at this and I'm just like, wow, okay, that was a choice that they made and then I kind of stopped and I thought about like, man, I remember when this was just like, oh my god, he has the most perfect little eyebrows in this movie and now it's just like they're they're just they're lines. <laughs> it's just hilarious that I'm pretty sure the idea was the stylists were supposed to like make Tom look more villainous, but in accidentally they end up just making him hotter. <laughs> he just looks incredibly dainty in this movie. Yes, <laughs> which you know, which then just makes me think back to. Um, you know, finding out about the the brief period in Ragnarok where Anthony Hopkins is actually playing Loki. Um, you know, it's funny because it doesn't come off like there's any malice in this or not. But I, I remember that, like, hearing a couple of times that, like, I guess when they were filming that movie that there were a couple of times that Anthony Hopkins kept essentially telling Tom Hiddleston to, like... It, it basically kept coming down to quite literally telling him to play him a little bit less limp-wristed. <laughs> and it doesn't sound like it was, like, done with any malice or anything at all. It was more just like, you know, you, know, you might want to grip that a little bit more firmly, that kind of thing, you know. And so it gets really funny when you watch the sequence where he's playing Loki and you pay attention to how dainty all of his hand movements are because clearly that's just the impression he got of watching <laughs> Well, you know, is that it's just dainty hands all the time. You cannot tell Loki to tone down the chaotic bisexual energy because you're telling him to negate himself. (laughs) It's, it's really, it's really just as I'm watching this, it's like, I don't, that's not, that's not the particular, I mean, for one thing, you know, if he's bi, that's not even the, that's not even the overbearing stereotype. It's like, you know, in that case, it's like, you know, should that be like, hey, tone down the finger guns or whatever. <laughs> but, um, you know, that's, I, I forget, what are, what are the stereotypes now? <laughs> uh, finger guns, uh, double cuffing your jeans, being into lemon bars and being unable, being unable to sit properly. Uh, See, this is, this is why, this is why this is, like, impossible, you know, like, a good amount of these are just, like, impossible to attach to men in general, I've noticed. <laughs> um, like, you know, like, the bisexual Bob thing, it's like, that's, you know, you know, a, this is, this is kind of a tangent, but, you know, sometimes I swear I look at the, like, you know, what are the new stereotypes today, and I'm looking at these, and I'm just like... Okay, so I don't think this has anything to do with with being queer. I I do think maybe you should possibly look into the, you know, maybe checking over, like, ADHD and autism lists. See what you relate to. (laughs) Because that's that's how a lot of the the lists come off. It's like, I, I really don't think your need to either have your sleeves rolled up halfway all the time or sweater paws is because of your sexuality, but that might have something to do with a neurodivergence, so, you know, look into it. (laughs) Uh, All right, so 
I thought I knew at least 90% of, like, the greater lore of the Thor trilogy and, like, the (laughs) myths of Asgard. (laughs) But thanks to uh, Natalie Halt, the composer of the Loki series, uh, she had a very uh, eye-opening insight that completely changes how (laughs) I viewed this film. And basically, according to her, uh, shortly before uh, Loki cut off Sif's hair, they they had uh, sword meets magic fingers. Oh, man. That... That that's what you chose to go with for this. <laughs> what would you okay? What would you choose? I don't know. I kept waiting for you. You know, the the more circumspect you were getting about this, the more I was just like, are you gonna break out like the horizontal mambo or something? Like, where where is this going? And then, <laughs> okay, Loki and Sif hid the. <laughs> okay, Loki and Sif hid the sausage, but I assume Loki it's like and Sif had sex. Yes. <laughs> God, I feel like that scene in the in in you know Adam's Family Values where the little girl is talking about like you know the elaborate you know various <laughs> you know combining like basically all of the cutesy origin stories for where a pregnancy comes from into one story, and then oh yeah, our parents are having a baby too. They had, they had sex. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Yeah, the point is, is that, that, that it, you know, life is a rich tapestry, and, and looking back on, <laughs> looking back on their interactions with that in mind is just like, oh, wow, and also, I, this really does, you, you know, this friend group, something that kept hitting me is like, God, this friend group is so dysfunctional, oh my god. <laughs> Like, like most of the time, you know, it's like we already knew that, you know, the, the the royal family of Asgard are, you know, vaguely dysfunctional. But now it's just like, damn, it's the whole friend group. <laughs> I mean, especially if you account for the fact that, you know, it's it seems fairly likely at this point that Loki slept with at least two of his brother's friends. Yeah, I was just about to say seem to that. like him very much. <laughs> I mean... I mean, at least Fandral will, like, needle him, but, you know, Sif... And then, of course, you know, and presumably the reason that Sif doesn't like him very much is because after they slept together, he cut her hair. And it's just like, what the hell is going on? You know, it's a really strong reminder of the fact that, you know, I I would say, especially out of, you know, the four of them that appear to be, or uh, that appear to be, like, the same age, you could say, because... You know, I, I still really love the, the circa 2011 uh, Tumblr headcanon that uh, MCU Hogan straight up is from medieval Japan because he's the only person in Asgard who doesn't have an RP accent. <laughs> um, and the, and basically that Fandral and Volstagg must have just been like, this guy rocks. Let's bring him back. <laughs> and, you know, and presumably Volstagg is, is older than than the rest of them are. But, like, when you look at the at the ones who are all, like, you know, presumably about pure age, it's just like, what is going on here? <laughs> this is messy as hell. If you follow uh, my Twitter account, then you'll, you might have seen um, PB Host screen caps of a text conversation I had with Megan 
going through all the possible theories of like how that must have went down. Yeah. And we kind of both reached the conclusion that Loki cut off Sif's hair only after she made a snide comment about uh, him always having to resort to his silver ton to get out of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, honestly, looking at this movie, I, I'm sorry, but does 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 circa 2011 Loki really come off like somebody who would be regularly undressing all the way to have sex? I, I don't I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think so. I, I think that this is probably somebody insecure enough that he got really good at giving head. Yep. That's our story <laughs> when we're sticking to it. <laughs> he got he got really good at he got really good at giving head and then Sif made some kind of comment afterward, partially because, you know, who wants to admit to, you know, having been brought to that point by, you know, your brother's, by your friend's weird brother. (laughs) (laughs) And then just afterward, just making some kind of comment about like, you know, so again, you resort to your tongue when your sword won't suffice. And, and, And then because apparently everybody in this is like, you know, emotionally 16 years old at this point, it's like... Just what the hell is going on here? You know, it's I, I, it's just, it's it's like it's like you know, just like I don't know. Are these like you know, as guardian celebutants plus their you know their one older friend who enables them and the guy that they picked up in medieval Japan were like this guy rocks. Let's bring him home. <laughs> you know, I'm actually glad you bring that up because something I mentioned uh, in my video is that. Everybody calls Thor a boy, and his journey is very much framed as a coming-of-age story, even though he's clearly coded as being in his late 20s. And then it hit me that part of this movie's appeal to the audience it had is because it's really... I mean, honestly, if you look at the Thor trilogy in a nutshell, it's a millennial coming-of-age story. Because... It's about two brothers who have to let go of entitlement and are dealing with the stress of not having the life they were promised. And Thor is faced halfway through the film with a question that no doubt many of my generation must have asked at some point. So now what? All of your goals mean shit. All your plans went to shit. So now what? Who are you outside of your privileged, sheltered upbringing? How do you carve about a new identity when the rules you've been following your whole life no longer apply? Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much, yeah. And I mean, and it took them a long time. And, you know, meanwhile, you know, the Loki series is basically just entirely, you know, him realizing that he's not, in fact, the center of attention (laughs) that you know that the world doesn't revolve around him which i mean you know technically is kind of what happens with both of them oh yeah yeah even though this is uh two episodes from now i am definitely uh the dark world defender because that movie has to happen because thor is all about thor's arc of redemption and betterment and the dark world is loki uh making that sense of growth because that's him reaching his biggest point of despair at least until the Loki series rewrites that 
Well, I mean, it's definitely the lowest point that he has in the main timeline. Oh, for sure. Speaking of, uh, a question I want to ask is, having seen... Uh, having seen the forest from the trees in the MCU, is there anything about this movie that struck you different now that you have, like, more context of where the story goes for these characters? So one big thing that stood out to me in this one is that it's kind of one of the only franchises I can think of that really decides to just go all like, and I, by franchise in this case, I mean the Thor stuff in particular, um, is how much it really just ends up rolling with the idea that, you know, what we're being shown about Asgard and like what Odin's narration says and everything, it's propaganda. Oh yeah. And they actually roll with that. And, and, I don't know if they, I don't know if they're able to just roll with it in the Thor movies because there's no real room in the Thor movies to stick in an actual U.S. military propaganda, but um, it's you know it's it's really pointed that you know that you know even if they didn't intend it as such, but when you see the opening narration of this movie, it's like oh yes, this is the approved narrative. Oh yeah, Odin, the this unreliable is, narrator. This, yeah, yeah. Well, and the other thing is, is that it means then that every time that they've, you know, retconned things to be progressively worse about Asgard in this, it really does come down to Odin being an unreliable narrator. I think probably a good frame of comparison for this is rewatching A New Hope after you know everything that went down in the, in the prequels. You know, Alec Guinness didn't even particularly want to be in these movies, it was very much a paycheck to him. And I'm sure that, you know, I don't even know if he was given anything on any of the background that Lucas had already kind of come up with for Obi-Wan as a character. But regardless of all of that, it feels incredibly pointed when Luke asks, well, how did my father die? And you see him hesitate as he, like, and... You know, and as far as we know, at that point when, you know, when Guinness responds in character as Obi-Wan that, you know, well, he was betrayed and murdered by Darth Vader, you know, that's, you know, he was probably just playing the hesitation as like, well, you know, thinking about that happening to Luke's father was a very painful thing for him to reminisce on. Mm -hmm. But when you watch it with what happened with, you know, with now everything that we know about that and knowing that, you know, Vader is Luke's father and all of that... It really comes off as just like, oh boy, how do I approach this? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it and it really adds this like really haunting level of context to that. And so, you know, on the other hand, you know, we know from various uh, behind the scenes things that you know, paycheck job or not, that you know, Anthony Hopkins conversely is like very much enjoying himself making <laughs> these movies. But at the same time, it really adds. A whole lot of context that cannot have been intended at the beginning with the little waver in his voice when he refers to Thor as his firstborn. Oh. When you consider that he's probably one of the only people in that room who knows otherwise. I mean, you know, honestly, probably Frigga doesn't. Yeah. Because I know, because if I remember correctly, Frigga is not supposed to be Hela's mother. Yeah. I, yeah, I remember we had this conversation. Uh, a little earlier, 
which brings me to uh, rewatching this movie uh, tonight. There was a phrase Odin used when uh, talking to Loki about his heritage, and I found it very specific, strong word choice of his original plan was that in raising Loki, that he would bring about a permanent peace with Jotunheim. And I just found that very uh, interesting choice of words because a lot of fans uh, on Tumblr have made much more thorough <laughs> posts about this of like all, all the ways that's completely fucked up because like it really doesn't take much backtracking to realize that Odin's plan, as soon as he saw an abandoned uh, frost giant, he was always planning to raise the future king of Jotunheim who always had allegiance to Asgard and saw his own kind as filthy monsters. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's kind of a Theon Greyjoy situation. It is exactly a Theon Greyjoy situation. And I mentioned that in my video of like, well, hello, raising the child of my enemy, which will in no way come back to bite me in the ass. Yeah, yeah, although it doesn't even come back to bite him in the ass in the way that you would think it would, because, you know, it's not just like, you know, you raised me to hate my own people, it's just like, I'm one of those things I hate, yeah. you know, it's, it, you know, it's, it's, a, at the very least, you could say that it's certainly not where you would have expected that to go wrong, but it, boy, does it go wrong. And in both cases, they nobly sacrificed themselves in a power play to save their kingdom. Yeah, on yeah, that's yeah, that's also an excellent point. Um, to say nothing of the of the long period of um, of you know psychological torture, although I do feel comfortable saying in this case that Theon got that a lot worse. Sorry, Loki. Yeah, I'm not gonna argue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining everybody who has neither seen the show or read the books. I mean, I haven't even actually seen that far into the show, but I know from the books. And I'm just imagining somebody who doesn't know about this, just like Googling this later and just being like, all right, so what happens to the... Holy shit. Yeah, just Google <laughs> Theon Greyjoy Reek. Oh, God. Yeah, it's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... So... Let's talk, if we can, about the cultural impact of this movie and uh, how I still consider it one of the biggest coincidences of my life that the week I saw this movie, I got introduced to a little fan site called Tumblr. <laughs> God, it, it really... Yeah, those are... I mean, considering how many people were like, what fucking year is this when they were starting to do, like, you know, tie-in events on Tumblr for the Loki series? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. Yeah, it's... <laughs> so, something interesting that I've I've gotten into a couple of... I, I don't want to call it internet arguments because it's never been to that extent and nobody's been that invested in it, including me, but... I, you know, there's been a lot of talking about, you know, did did Loki codify the idea of what's referred to as the Tumblr sexy man? <laughs> and so my my argument here is that 
I don't actually think so, even though, even despite, you know, his popularity beginning largely on Tumblr. And the reason I say that is because looking back on this movie, I'm looking at this and it's just like, I I don't think there was, I, they, like, they clearly intended for him to be appealing in this movie. You know, like, they wouldn't, they would not have designed the character and gone with what they went with for the character if he wasn't meant to have that kind of appeal to an audience. So I'm just kind of like, you know, so the, the whole thing about the Tumblr sexy man is that I really feel like to be a Tumblr sexy man, you have to be somebody that only Tumblr could love. Ah, that's it. And that's, that's really, that's really where it is. And it's just, I, I feel like when you're putting, I feel like when you're putting in this character who was clearly designed to be appealing on some level to the mainstream, I mean, that's, that's also why, you know, conversely, when people are like, is there a female equivalent of this? Like, I don't feel like you can consider uh, Lady Dimitrescu. <laughs> I don't think you can consider her a Tumblr sexy woman because, I mean, you know, I feel like as soon as a character becomes, you know, the internet's girlfriend or boyfriend, like, they can't, they're not a Tumblr sexy man at that point. Yeah. Like, they, they can't be. It's... You know, and in that case, you know, when you're talking about, like, oh, yeah, you know, we designed a nine-foot-tall, you know, <laughs> gorgeous, busty vampire lady, you know, it, you can't really act surprised that there's going to be a lot of people on the internet that want to fuck her. Or her be voice actress her. has been very, very busy lately signing autographs en masse. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, you know, and so I feel like there's there's something similar going on here. It's just, you know, on the... I think, you know, I do think you could say that he's reflective of the kind of character that tends to get the, the leg up from Tumblr, but I don't think he really counts as a Tumblr sexy man because they, you know, they clearly wanted people who aren't, you know, absolute internet goblins mm -hmm. to like this character and to be invested in this character versus, you know, for, you know, other examples of Tumblr sexy men are like, are like, you know, the the screaming eldritch horror pyramid little guy. Bill Cypher! Yeah, Cypher. yeah, see, that's that's a Tumblr sexy man. <laughs> because, you know, that's not a character that anybody intended to to be, you know, sexually attracted to, let alone designing as like, you know, some kind of leggy Willy Wonka twink. You know, like like that that to me is what makes somebody a Tumblr sexy man or like when people like or like when people got inexplicably horny for like the little chonky skeleton in Undertale like you know Sans. like I'm sorry That's, <laughs> see I, I you you can't compare the you can't compare the Loki fandom to this because at the very least Loki is shaped like a is you know shaped like a human being and you know and is and is played by somebody generally considered to be conventionally good looking although and <laughs> what's funny is that like within a year or two of uh the movie coming out there I, I mean there have been quite a few men complaining on the internet just having no idea why women would cons not only really consider loki hot but loki hotter than thor and i just find that so amusing because like here's a character whose whole like motivation is I want to be 
acknowledged as just as deserving to be Harris Thor, who has had nothing but easy victories, even though he has so much unwarranted self-importance. And I'm like, oh my god, I wonder why women feel a connection with him. (laughs) (laughs) It's also particularly interesting once you phrase it like that, though, to realize it's it's deeply funny to realize that there are so many guys that, you know, you would think would start identifying with him out of this. And no, they don't. No, I mean... Like, like have you noticed that? Like, that's, yeah! that's the whole thing, is I that mean, there's... From the, from the perspective of, like, a lonely man on the internet, yes, he could easily be diagnosed as beta. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, Thor is a Chad, and Loki is defined by what Thor lacks, so you do the math. (laughs) You know, although, again, it just, watching this movie again, it is incredibly striking how much, you know, we've joked about it before, but in this case, it actually made me kind of sad watching this again, how much they have established that... They've really established that Loki's a better boyfriend than Thor at this point, and it's actually kind of sad. Yes. Oh, God. (laughs) It's just hilarious watching this with that uh, foresight of, like, honey, you got a big storm coming. You know, what was it down there that made you so soft? Yes! (laughs) Don't tell me it was that woman. You have no idea just how enchanted by the pussy you're going to be, son. (laughs) Oh my god. But also, you know, it's it's just like, also, yeah, you know, this... You know, Thor ends up having this almost comedically on-again, off-again relationship with Jane. And I mean, I say almost comedically because I... They didn't intend it this way, but there is something incredibly funny about them, like, you know, having an on-again, off-again relationship where the on-again is just, like, incredibly sweeping fantasy romance tropes, and then the off-again is just like, and then he never calls me. Yes, it's that perfect <laughs> and never, blend. And then he never checks in with me. And it's now, that perfect and, blend you know, and, now and mundane. And now apparently... And now, you know, and apparently now he's back on Earth, but all he's been doing is playing video games and, like, yelling at 12-year-olds online. And then, you know, so, like, that's, you know, so there's all that going on. And then, meanwhile, you know, you've got Loki, you know, ready to, (laughs) ready to keep, (laughs) ready to keep, like, you know, you know, never fight never stopping fighting to find the love of his life again (laughs) and it's just like wow okay it's even funnier uh now to have like two brothers who are in love or about to be in love with arguably their female counterparts yeah no that's that's actually something that i was thinking of a lot with the whole you know oh you know Sylvie and Loki are incest and, and it's just like wait until wait until you see what's probably happening with Thor and Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> like shit's gonna get wild. <laughs> and I mean it's entirely possible that at this point this might actually be a movie in which you know, in which maybe she doesn't want to be his love interest anymore. You know, that that's, you know, that's definitely something that they might be wanting to do with this, especially if they're bringing her back for, 
you know, because I know that one of the reasons that Natalie Portman didn't come back for a while was because, you know, she was a little frustrated with the fact that Jane was, like, the love interest. Mm. And so the fact that they brought her back to do the whole, you know, Jane is also Thor thing, like, I don't know. I don't know for sure. It's entirely possible that they might not hook up again and they might, you know, end up deciding that they're better off as both Thors. But, um... On the other hand, at this point, the part of me that loves chaos is just like, <laughs> fucking do it. Do yes. it. <laughs> do it. Kiss yourself. <laughs> do it. Let's, you know, I, I really, really want the internet to just melt down and just be like, how does this keep happening? <laughs> dance, puppets, dance. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Uh. Just so so oh sorry so since uh we've reached the hour point i feel like this should be like a good recurring question for each movie we see of uh it doesn't have to be the same as your favorite scene with loki in it but rather which scene do you think had loki at his most well-written and or the most in character. I mean, so the funny thing about this movie is that I feel like his conversation with his mom while Odin's, you know, Odin napping or whatever. He's in the Odin zone. Convenient Odin sleep. (laughs) Oh, God, no, that's a phrase I haven't heard in a long time. (laughs) Um, but, you know, that's definitely the thing that feels the most, um, like, predictive of what was to come, but I think that's also just partially because, you know, this is before we've managed to see him at his, like, you know, manic and hedonistic, you know, in this one, you know, he's, he's still very much, like, no, no, (laughs) or, I mean, I... It, it is interesting going back to this movie after the series, though, because there is a lot more about him in the series that does follow through very cleanly from this movie, which I didn't really anticipate. But, you know, it does make sense, considering that unlike, you know, regular timeline MCU Loki, you know, show Loki is only like one massive breakdown <laughs> separated from this movie. Um, and... You know, and knowing a lot of where the character was going to go, you can see pretty early on in this how much he's starting to realize, like, wow, I fucked up. I I fucked up. I have set set a whole bunch into motion that I can't possibly control. And the thing that really stands out to me in that scene is the fact that he doesn't want... At that point, he genuinely doesn't want the throne. Yeah. Or, like, or, or like rather, if he wants it, he didn't want to have it this way. Exactly. Because, yeah, I mean, at this point, well, really throughout the whole uh, MCU, the, Loki has seen the throne as, like, a symbol of validation, of, like, people finally giving him the respect that he's always felt he lacked. Yeah. I mean, I would also... Uh, I would include the deleted scenes for, like, also really meaty uh, writing 
and insight to his character because like i don't know why it was cut but uh the original scene uh where thor uh makes his announcement to go to jotunheim with sif loki and the warriors three he makes it a point to invite loki with him and loki genuinely looks so happy and innocent and like pleased <laughs> that he thought of him validation validation for loki Me? loki <laughs> God, I, I I'm sorry. I just realized that this is just you know. Thank thank. It's very late where I'm at, and I actually I've been at home in like a haze all day, on bed rest because I managed to injure my hip to an extent where I couldn't go to work today. And so my my thoughts are all very scattered right now <laughs> because I've basically just been laying in bed and like taking pain meds all day. But um, I just realized, you know, did, this is clearly some kind of, you know, some kind of like, you know, Loki as Miette the cat kind of thread. Oh my god. <laughs> you dropped the Miette bomb. <laughs> I mean, although really, if anybody in this movie is, is you know, dropping the Miette bomb, it's, it's Odin. <laughs> oh? Oh, you disobey Odin? <laughs> you, you ignore him like, you ignore him like he is. Oh god, like, I don't know what you ignore him like, but oh, oh, banishment for sun, <laughs> banishment for 1,000 years. Oh my god. Now I'm thinking of uh, that one lemon character from Adventure Time. 1,000 years dungeon! <laughs> have you ever heard the, have you ever heard the, the track that it just, it's, it's, um, it's Muse's uh, unsustainable, except it's just edited, so it's just him screaming um, unacceptable? Yes. Yes. <laughs> God, speaking of circa 2011 Tumblr. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> oh my god. So something else that I brought to the table prepping for this episode is um, I have a file from about, I want to say probably about 2014 or so, because it only includes Up to the Dark World, where somebody actually went ahead and made a Loki movie. Oh, I remember By editing that. all of his footage together. I can actually send it to you at some point. And it's, um, and, you know, for one thing, there were a couple of points when as I was looking at this, I'm like, wow, I feel like I'm watching his TVA file. <laughs> um, and they did do some, they did, uh, they did do some interesting stuff with, like, trying to add a frame to it and everything. Like, a lot of it, you know, the, like, Avengers and Thor sections of it are actually, you know, him dwelling on what brought him there when he's, you know, in his, in his, like, little fluorescent light cell thing in the Dark World. Um, and that means that at that point, they even incorporated some of the footage of uh, Tom Hiddleston's screen test for Thor. Ooh. Um, you know, about the, you know, that should have been me kind of thought, I guess. But, um... There's one part of this that w that w struck me as really chilling, to be honest, 
was, for one thing, it actually repurposes a deleted scene between uh, Odin and Frigga that um, that I'm pretty sure, based on how Frigga's dressed at that point, it was actually cut from after Thor's banishment. But because it only ever refers to, you know, who's being discussed here as our son, it works just as well to put it in there after Loki's uh, suicide attempt, which, wow, you really forget how much in this movie that genuinely was a suicide attempt. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Like, you know, like, like I know that informs- now people, like, I know that now it gets really flippantly loaded into how many times is this guy going to fake his death, but it's like, no, no, he, like, he was he trying. Did, he did, had no idea at the time where he would end up. Like, yeah, like that, that choice at the end informs everything he does and everything he is from then on out. Yeah, and it's, and it's very, it's very obvious that at that point, you know, the, the, just, it's not even like a fuck you, I'm out face. It's, it's that he legitimately, like, his lower lip wobbles. Like, what the hell, man? Um, you can see the tears slide down his cheek right before he lets go. Yeah, but this this does this, you know, because you have to keep in mind that when it's all edited into a Loki movie, this is only about 45 minutes in. You know, there's this, you know, they kind of have to piece it together from a whole bunch of um, footage from other movies and stuff. So, you know, you know, it's one of those moments where you can tell that this is kind of more of a proof of concept thing than... Um, than, you know, an actual MCU movie, which is kind of easy to forget at certain points. But they show his his fall from that point, and it does this really creepily uncomfortable framing of, like, you know, as it shows, you know, the, the leading into the end of the, the first Thor movie with, you know... Jane's still setting up the equipment to figure out how to find Thor again and and all of that. But the same, you know, kind of triumphant hero theme music plays over this actually incredibly eerily well done, basically montage of him being brought to Thanos. Ooh. And being given the... And, and I was just like, you know, and watching this, because I had never actually watched this, this edit beforehand. Um... When I was watching it, I was just like, this is the first thing outside of the way he was talking about it originally in the series. This is the first thing that's ever actually made me understand about like, oh, God, yeah, this this is how it this is th- this is what he was seeing as the glorious purpose. This feels I mean, it, it's framed as though that's what he's being given. And I thought thought that that was incredibly well done and really chilling. <laughs> I will have to see that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll I'll have to send it I'll have to send it to you later and um for those of you listening it, it's out there. It's called Loki Brother Thor. That's that's the name of the the edit. Keep circulating the tapes, folks. <laughs> that reminds me. <laughs> okay, now that uh I mean unless there's uh, more points you want to bring up what what were some of your favorite jokes on the Rift tracks? <laughs> <laughs> Thor's husbands approve. <laughs> yeah, for me, to this day, I cannot watch the scene where Loki uh, 
visit Thor on Earth, uh, dressed in regular uh, Midgard clothing, and it's just like the sincerest gasp of oh, Kurt Smith from Tears for Fears, and I lose <laughs> it every goddamn time. We have Maureen and I have this have a very long running joke about Loki and in eighty synth pop that comes from a couple of different sources. One of them is just um an edit from the, the Tumblr uh It's Always Sunny on Asgard. I was just about to bring up their blog <laughs> on like Tumblr's impact and Loki feeding off oh, each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the uh but the um the whole thing about, you know, repurposing that line from Always Sunny about, no, we are not listening to your 80s glam rock femme shit. Or whatever it is. Um, oh, I, I love It's Always Sunny in Asgard so much, especially like uh, in the early days, like just how completely perfectly fitting it was to have Frank Reynolds' dialogue put into Odin's mouth. God, yeah. <laughs> But the the other one that um, the other thing, and this is this isn't necessarily a Tumblr thing, but it's something that Maureen and I have had as a long-standing joke between the two of us. <laughs> is um, <laughs> I can tell that you know where this is going. Yes. <laughs> so there's there's a scene, and I want to say it was the first season of the Mighty Boosh because they were still working at the zoo at that point, where they have to transport a bear on a road trip. And, uh, and the, the initial setup for it is, you know, that, that Vince Warnell Fielding's character, you know, as he piles in, he's like, oh yeah, and you know, and I brought music for the drive and he holds up like, you know, he holds up one tape, you know, this is the best of the sixties, this is the best of the seventies. And then he holds up like this massive pile of cassettes. And this is, is Gary, Gary Newman. Newman. And, you know, and Howard doesn't want to listen to that. Howard is, you know, Howard insists on putting on his, um, his slap his uh his jazz, like, jazz funk, funk. <laughs> jazz his jazz funk albums and like is like constantly you know like okay you know you gotta wait for when the slap bass kicks in and <laughs> it ends up upsetting the bear in the back to the point where he ends up where you know where vince just ends up slamming in one of the gary newman cassettes and it's like in the middle of cars and he just starts like singing and dancing enthusiastically and then the bear is like joining in and then finally like howard just starts like dancing anyway we we have made that as that has been a running joke about us with Thor and Loki for probably a good seven or eight years now because it's just every it's, character you ever know is on a spectrum, either Jazz Funk or Gary Newman. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. It's you know, for forget that whole awful you know the dynamic thing that they were doing on uh on Tumblr. You know, it's it's. It's all about that. <laughs> you know, very early on, like, you know, when she was first like, okay, so what the hell is the terror? <laughs> got into that. Literally one of the first things that I sent her back was, you know, a, was just a screenshot of, of Commander Fitzjames looking incredulous. And I just captioned it, you know, Funk Francis, Jazz's deformed cousin. <laughs> just like, it's just like, I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's just the permanent vibe I, here. I remember I was intrigued by the show, but I, I remember I think that came about only after I asked you, all right, with Fitzjames and Crozier, 
which one listens to jazz funk and which one listens to Gary Newman? <laughs> God. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, it really, it, I, I think the first thing you ever asked me about that show actually was, um, was just like, I, I, if I remember correctly, you actually were under the impression that it was like they took the entire Robert Walton prologue from Frankenstein and turned it into its own series, which yes, to be, which to be completely fair, entirely feels like something that prestige television would do. Um, I mean, I thought the name is the Terrors, so clearly it has to be terrifying. <laughs> But I mean, it works perfectly because then you put the Toonbach in the in the back of the van. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for reminding me. I really need to finish up my animatic of Thor and Loki doing that Mighty Boosh scene. Yes, with Hulk yes, as the bear. You do. He doesn't like it. He doesn't <laughs> like the slap face. It's making him angry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it got to the point where, you know, I have my, you know, I have a Loki character playlist that I've had for several years. I am Maureen and, of like, Chicago. very close to the beginning. I am Megan's daughter of my Newman, Lisa. And that's why. <laughs> uh, do we have anything more about this movie that we have to talk about? Oh, God. <laughs> Meanwhile, back at the ranch. Um... Yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that I did wonder about, because I don't, I don't know at this point how much of this is, um, you know, just the regular accidental retconning that goes along with these, or if it's all part of Odin being the unreliable narrator, but I'm thinking about how in the, um, in Ragnarok, when you see the old murals that are like, you know, dedicated to them as, like, conquerors and warmongers and stuff about how Odin, you know, is already old in that, but we know that he wasn't. I was like, is this just, like, you know, is this one of those ways of, like, ceremonially presenting himself as older for, uh, you know, for, like, you, you know, know, threatening there's people a purposes? Lot, I don't know. There's a lot of thematic inconsistencies with Ragnarok that I have a grievance with, but that's for another episode. Well, yeah, I mean... But at the same time, as I was watching some of this, I was also just like, you know, how much of this are we, act you know, when we see this earlier, uh, when we see the earlier footage here, like, you know, how much of this is, like, quite literally just how uh, Odin is presenting it. And I know that that doesn't quite line up with, like, the eye-patching consistency or whatever. But, um, oh, God, I just thought of something. And now I've lost it. <laughs> I'm trying to think of um oh well as um as i've mentioned before i still think that it's a shame that they not only covered uh Confeor in that much makeup but then they barely actually light him on screen because i feel like they really squandered the fact that he actually does look enough like tom hiddleston that he could very easily have played his biological father oh yeah absolutely and the fact that they obscured that is kind of a shame yeah, but then again, like, they did such a good makeup job with the Frost Giants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, those those still hold up. You know, that was one thing that struck me as a little strange in the, um, the riff tracks, was, um, was them referring to, you know, the Frost Giants as, you know, being a bunch of big guys from Minnesota. And it's just like, but 
that's that's the Asgard. <laughs> well, a running gag with Rift Tracks and MST3K is whenever there's like a fantasy movie that involves like ice creatures attacking or like heavy snowfall, one of them always has to say, "Oh, criminy, cold enough for ya." <laughs> I did notice that. I, I did notice that one. Um, <laughs> I mean, on the other hand, I feel like you can probably start dismissing any of these inconsistencies as just, you know, timelines being pruned. Ooh. <laughs> like, I mean, that's that's probably like the easiest get out of trying to figure out an explanation card that you can possibly play now. I was just I was just telling you earlier, right before we uh, started recording, that I am shocked that no one on Reddit has like made a Pepe Silva style board pointing out <laughs> that uh, because Federal is played by a different actor in the last two Thor films, clearly that must have been his variant stepping in. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's cool. He's he's about a foot taller, but it's cool. <laughs> There's not enough of a difference. Um, so join us in two weeks where we talk about uh, the movie that is an extremely important stepping stone on the way to the Loki series because it's where we last left Loki off before his big journey of character development, part two, the Avengers. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> this was a this was a reminder of this was the last time that I think well actually no I think Avengers technically had something comparable but I still feel like this is the most insane his horns ever were in the MCU. Oh, absolutely. Well, the because they're they're almost upright. Well, that's like... was really the point is because uh his horns tell a story because when he's still like in the palace of Asgard, his horns are basically, yeah, the closest to upright. And in the Avengers, his horns are, like, more uh, at a diagonal level, like uh, goat-butting heads. Like, a far more aggressive stance to it. Yeah. Yeah. And then and, and then eventually it gets to the point where he doesn't even want to wear the helmet. So he can just, like, you know, constantly toss his hair out of his face. Yes, because he just does not care at all about the back of his head getting stabbed. <laughs> That's what somersaults are for. <laughs> somersaults and hair tosses timed perfectly to a synth sting in Holding Out for a Hero by Bonnie Tyler. Oh my god, I forgot how much I love seeing those hair flips that have not... Yeah, his hair was too short to do hair flips in this movie. Oh, yeah, no, there's, there's, well, and also it's too stuck down. You know, he has only, like, two places in there, and it's enough that he can just do, like, the little sideways head toss to get, you know, <laughs> it's, it's almost more like he's knocking his bangs out of his eyes, you know, not yes. that he has bangs, but. No, but even, yes, even without bangs, he still has, like, the emo signature move. <laughs> You know, it also really reminded me that, like, oh, yeah, Thor doesn't actually have very long hair in this movie either. Yeah. Were they, well, having, that's because... were they going through a phase? What's up? Well, I mean, I know, uh, at least for this movie, it was Chris and Tom's real hair, so. Yeah, true. <laughs> but then again, it was also his real hair in the Loki series, and we've seen how often he has to toss that out of his face. Well, it's because, like, I just find it hilarious that Tom did the whole man bun thing uh, behind the scenes for, like, choreography training. 
But, like, that's then, something that's, like, inconceivable to see Loki do. Oh, yeah, no, that's the thing, you know, and, it's, and you know, to the point where it's one of the first things that really broadcasts that, you know, yes, Sylvia is a very different person, is that, you know, as she's walking, she very calmly pulls her hair back out of her face so she doesn't have to keep doing that. And one and, of the fan arts I'm then going to draw within the week is Sylvie teaching Loki how to tie his hair back for battle. <laughs> just, just please stop giving your yourself whiplash over this. <laughs> like, did, like, did you just decide at one point that it looks cool? Knowing him, probably yes, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. <laughs> oh my god. Oh. <laughs> uh,